Will you pray with me? God, settle our hearts and our minds. Give us a word in due season. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, we are dead sinner in a seven-part sermon series entitled Creating a Life That Matters. You've heard us say it in our announcements. You're going to hear me say it all throughout this sermon. You're going to be tired of hearing it by December because guess what? It's our theme for the year. (laughs) Creating a life that matters creates a church that matters. I'm going to give you just a little recap. Our first week began with Dwayne talking to us about our identity. Creating a life that matters can truly only begin when we deeply accept and understand our belovedness. That was Baptism Sunday, and we celebrated our identity with Christ in that sacred sacrament. And as we rise from the waters, we get to join Jesus Christ, hearing the voice of God say, You are my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. The next week, Dwayne talked to us about our unique giftedness. And we, so we heard not only that you matter, but you're gifted. And we are to recognize and utilize those gifts. And then in the following week, last week, we heard you matter so much that God put you in a community of faith. People who have different gifts than your own, opposites, who can attract like Mabel and Laverne. We can come and use those and strengthen ourselves. So you matter, and we matter. Important message for us. Well, today we're going to shift gears slightly because I want us to look at creating lives that matter using relationships. And I think we would all agree that we are born in a web of relationships. We're very social creatures, relational beings. And in today's scripture, it's 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul shifts from teaching us about our identity and our gifts and says, I'm going to tell you about a more excellent way. And this way is all based on love. Paul tells us that love should be the root of our relationships, should be the grounding from which we love ourselves, our God, and others. Learning to love each other, quite simply, helps us bear with one another, helps us build each other up, Stay engaged in the dialogue, keeps us from taking flight. All of this forms the basis of our lives together as we form the body of Christ. But we do this through maturity. We have to put away our childish things and become grown adults. I'm going to be reading throughout chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to do it in blocks. I'm going to start with verse 11. When we were children, we thought and reasoned as children do. Yet when we grew up, we quit our childish ways. Now all we can see of God is like a cloudy picture in a mirror, but later we will see God face to face. So God created us in love. We are a beloved child of God, but we're created to grow. And God's not a coercive God. God gives us the freedom to self-create as well. And he's asking us to do that by putting away some of those childish things and maturing. And we will know when we are maturing, when we move past being care receivers and begin to become care givers. And so we will move from you matter to we matter to they matter. We'll begin to recognize that there's lives beyond the walls. Wednesday night, um, one of our clergy students, Jason Wood, give him a 
wave back there, Jason. <laughs> Jason uh, preached his first debut sermon here at Resurrection. Now, he's a pastor's kid, so I'm sure he's been preaching all of his life, but it was his first for us. And I told him I would come and support him and steal his material if it was good. I mean, borrow his material if it was really good. <laughs> and it was quite, quite an experience. He talked to us about this maturity process, and he gave it a word that you might be familiar with. It's called sanctification. This word um, she tells us how we can mature and grow in our faith. And the story that Jason used to guide us in this is the story of Peter, the rock upon which Christ built the church. I love this story about Peter. Um, I love Peter himself because his faith is always bold and sometimes misplaced. But in the story of Peter, we can see that God fully knows us and loves us and will use all of that to help us serve others. The story that Jason used comes from the Gospel of John, and it basically begins when Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and he's telling him that he will be given up to suffering and death. And then he says, and um, by the way, all of you are going to abandon me. And Peter, as Peter, only Peter can do, the rock stands and says, but not me, Lord. All of these may turn away, but I will go with you even unto death if I must. And Jesus just corrals him and says, oh, Peter, sweet Peter. Indeed, you will deny me three times before the cock crows twice. And sure enough, Peter was hanging around at a campfire later on that evening, waiting for the trial of Jesus to take place. And there were people there who recognized him and began to point at him. And he did deny Jesus. And he didn't only deny him, he cursed his very name. And yes, he did it three times before morning. But the story continues... After his resurrection, Jesus made a special appearance to the disciples, especially to our dear and faithful Peter. He comes up to the shoreline and makes a campfire because the disciples are out in a boat. They've been fishing all night and haven't got a catch. So Jesus hollers out, throw your net out one more time. And they do so, and there is such a giant catch they can barely reel it in. Well, Peter at this moment knows that must be Jesus at the shoreline. So he's so excited he jumps out of the boat, he swims to shore, And he gets up and he meets Jesus there at that campfire, a place very hauntingly familiar to one where he had had a previous failure. And Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, quite frustrated that it took three times to answer this question, persists. And he says, Lord, Lord, you know me. And you know that I love you. And Jesus simply replies, feed my sheep. So we can see that our lives, our identity, our giftedness, the community of faith in which we serve, all of that comes together and matters when we use it to feed the sheep. God's people matter. More of 1 Corinthians 13. What if I could speak all languages of humans and of angels? If I did not love others, I would be nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging symbol? What if I could prophesy and understand all secrets and all knowledge? What if I had faith to move mountains? I would be nothing unless I loved others. What if I gave away all that I owned and let myself even be burned alive? I would gain nothing unless I loved others. We create lives that matter when they're founded and rooted in love. Our relationships must come from that. But the great thing about this 
this uh, sanctification and this maturing process is that God works with us to turn all of it out for the good. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in everything God works for the good with those who love God. Now that's not a guarantee that good will always happen, but it is a guarantee about God's character. God works for the good. Where? In everything. God is always working in everything to bring about the good, especially with those who are answering the divine call. You see, God calls for our cooperation. We are to participate, work with God in the world. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. They matter. Creating a lives that matter is a cooperative effort between you and I and God. But there is good news. God is our great companion. Jesus' life reveals that God comes to suffer with us and walk with us. In a book entitled Night by Eli Weasel, he accounts for his experience in concentration camps. He describes this scene that's hard to get out of your mind. It's the death of a young boy who unfortunately was so light that the rope couldn't do its usual job. So rather than die quickly, he lingered on, gasping for breath and wringling at the end of the rope, suffocating very slowly, when one of the prisoners who was required to watch this scene hollered out, Where is God now? Another one of the prisoners responded, Here he is. Here he is. He's at the end of that rope. Now, that prisoner probably meant that his faith in God was dying there with that boy. But I would challenge us to listen to that a little bit differently. God is at the end of that rope. That means God is sharing in that suffering of that boy. God was sharing in the suffering of those other prisoners. God was even sharing the experience of those guards and grieving at the loss of their humanity of their incapacity to love and feel compassion in that moment. This image of God was so powerfully expressed in another sermon I'm borrowing from. It's from Reverend Carter Hayward. She's a powerful, powerful pastor. And she was considering this story when she was uh, thinking about the question when Moses asked God, who are you or who can I say? And he says, I am or I will be what I will be. Hayward suggests that God's nature is probably too dynamic and too pervasive to capture in a single word. So God will appear to us in many places, and we're called to see God in fresh perspectives. Possibly inspired by this story, I want you to hear Reverend Hayward's challenge for us to look for God in all people. God will hang on the gallows. God will inspire, fill, and overwhelm Handel with power and splendor. God will be battered as a wife, a child, a nigger, a faggot. God will judge with righteousness, justice, mercy those who batter, burn, sneer, discriminate, or harbor prejudice. God will have a mastectomy. God will experience the wonder of giving birth. God will be handicapped. God will run the marathon. God will win. God will lose. 
God will be down and out, suffering, dying. God will be bursting free, coming to life, for God will be who God will be. God is in the face of all people. God experiences our experience, every joy, every sorrow. And because God suffers with us, God is calling us to break through the status quo because God cannot possibly be satisfied in a world with a world that has still got people who are victims, people who are oppressed or exploited, because God is one of those victims. Feed my sheep. Care for me by creating lives that matter. Participate in my love. Step out of your comfort zones and live lives that are both directed and driven by compassion for others. People matter to God. They must matter to us. More love. Love never fails. Everyone who prophesies will stop and unknown languages will no longer be spoken. All that we know will be forgotten. We don't know everything and our prophecies are not complete, but what is perfect will someday appear and what is is not perfect will then disappear. All of our giftedness will someday fall away, but our love will remain. Relationships built on love, that will be our legacy. And as we grow and mature, we need to realize that a new self will appear. We are becoming the person God is calling us to be every day. But a self can only do that when it loses its fixation over the way it was. Or to say it another way, we can't grow without changing. This is a hard lesson. It means that in our maturity process, in our sanctification, there must be some sort of surrender of our present satisfactions. We must drop our defenses and our securities and be open to new demands. The past is not being rejected here, though. Be sure to hear that. Our past is part of what forms us and allows us to communicate. It allows us to minister to those that we even arrive at. God will use all of that. But we will not get there unchanged. This sounds like common sense, but it is a desperate battle that each one of us faces, and we face it as a congregation. Change means risk, and risk is always painful. We're all willing to grow when we can latch on to securities, but we must know our future is never always knowable by us. So we find ourselves many times trying to save our life by preserving it. Jesus is simply saying, you will save your life when you're willing to trust me and let it go. We all want those guarantees, but what we have, unfortunately, is a journey. It's an adventure. It's a social process, a life with all the risk. But God promises to share that life with us and to work with us for the good. And this promise is also a call. The world is not the way that God would have it be. Unjust social structures do not reflect God's vision for us. Poverty and hunger and violence, these are not trials that are meant to just educate us. This is evil in which God is in a struggle with and is asking us to participate in. And we can do it boldly with love in our heart, knowing that love will win. Love will never fail us. So let me go one more time to 1 Corinthians 13 and talk to you 
about this definition of this godlike love. It cannot be put any better than this. Love is kind and patient, never jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Love isn't selfish or quick-tempered and doesn't keep record of wrongs. Love rejoices in the truth but not evil. Love is always supportive, loyal, hopeful, and trusting. I love that because what that tells us, if that's a God-like love, we can bank on it. God is saying, trust me, step out, I will catch you. And if I have to, I'll take you right back to that campfire and we'll do it again, together. Jesus revealed that kind of a God to us. These scriptures tell of us that we can claim that kind of love. We can become that kind of love. It's our call. And God's not going to take away our freedom, but await so gently for our free response. Infinite patience, that scripture says God has for us. If we love this way, we will join God in the fight for good and evil and become co-creators of lives that matter. In resurrection, there is a great catch outside of these walls for us. We have to be willing and ready to evolve and move. We have to be ready to fill in those unwritten pages of our lives together. There was a song that I heard on Dick Van Clark's New Year's Eve party. <laughs> it was called Unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield. And it has stuck in me. And I love it because every time I hear it, it challenges me. That God is right there in those unwritten pages asking me to step into it. Believe in me, God is saying. We can do this together. So I'm going to just say a few of these lines and sit down and let that song play a little bit for you. So it'll stick in your head. And every time you hear it on the radio, you'll remember that we're called to create lives that matter. Knowing that we matter. And they must matter to us. Staring at the blank page before you. Open up the dirty window. Let the sun illuminate the words that you could not find. Reaching for something in the distance. So close, you can almost taste it. Release your inhibitions. Feel the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you. Only you can let it in. Only you can let the words unspoken come from your lips. Live your lives with arms wide open. Today, your book begins. The rest is still unwritten. Amen.